a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's episode of Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Today's show, man, uh, there's a lot going on today. We're going to cover a lot of ground, and as we kick things off, we're going to touch on uh, a developing story, which you have heard broadcast on these airwaves throughout this morning. Uh, And right now, the latest development is that Chad Daybell has been taken into police custody as officers uh, search his property. Chad Daybell, of course, as you know, if you've been following along these last few months since uh, about September, is the spouse, uh, the husband of Lori Vallow Daybell, who is right now in the Madison County Jail being held there on two counts of desertion and non-support of a dependent child. Those two children, Joshua, J.J. Vallow, and Tylee Ryan, have been missing since September. Today's development started earlier this morning when we learned that Rexburg police officers, in conjunction with the FBI, had served a search warrant at Chad Daybell's Fremont County home in Salem, Idaho. Uh, There was a helicopter flying overhead with the East Idaho News, and I don't want to speculate as to what I was seeing. I'm not a professional. I don't have the right eyes to evaluate that, but you could certainly see law enforcement officers moving around that property, uh, investigating here and there. Uh, The reports from East Idaho News are that uh, also not far from the scene where that search warrant was being executed that uh, there was a vehicle pulled over to the side of the road. And from that vehicle emerged Chad Daybell wearing a baseball cap, a gray button-up shirt and blue jeans. And the witnesses say uh, that he was placed in handcuffs and put into a police car. And that that vehicle right now uh, of Chad Daybell is currently parked on the road surrounded by deputies uh, but that he is no longer on the scene. So that is the update. Uh, nothing definitive necessarily, uh, except for that it is. Uh, it appears to be the case that Chad Daybell has been uh, taken into custody uh, in the midst of a search warrant being executed on his property. Uh, fascinating uh, development just shared with me by uh, Amy, producer Amy. Let me open up this tweet from... Uh, John Huntsman Jr. Oh, this is fascinating. John Huntsman Jr., as you know, uh, recently there was a, a story where a there was a staffer, a senior staff member on his campaign staff who had contracted the coronavirus. There was a test. Uh, that test came back positive, and uh, candidate Huntsman, John Huntsman Jr., running for governor, he was tested. We learned uh, or we heard rather the other day that those test results had come back uh, negative. Well, just moments ago, uh, John Huntsman tweeted the following. Received a call from Salt Lake Health saying they had given me wrong results, still awaiting my results from COVID-19 test last Friday. No word on family members either. Very illuminating to see the process firsthand. They gave John Huntsman Jr. the wrong coronavirus results. Now, we don't know his definitive results, but what we do know 
according to this tweet at least, is that the results he received after a senior staff member on his campaign staff tested positive, uh, after he was told that his test came back negative, he's now hearing word again from Salt Lake Health saying that they had given him the wrong results and that he continues to await his actual results for his COVID-19 test, the one he took last Friday. Fascinating. Uh, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And an interesting twist. Uh, unfortunate twist if you are a Huntsman supporter or uh, Mr. Huntsman himself. Uh, hopefully that gets all straightened out and folks are able to uh, go to sleep tonight with peace of mind. You hear uh, mention in there uh, that there's no word on family members either. You hope, you know, regardless of who you want to see in the governor's mansion, you, you, you hate when there's uncertainty uh, with one's family. So I, uh, my fingers are crossed that that all gets sorted out. Moving on. The rest of today's program jam-packed full of uh, details and developments on the front with law enforcement, specifically as there are protesters still today moving around the streets of the United States calling for change, calling for reform. There is uh, continued back and forth. We spoke with uh, Salt Lake City uh, Branch President Janetta Williams of the NAACP yesterday, and she talked, uh, she mentioned very briefly during our conversation, uh, civilian review boards or civilian oversight boards. Uh, that is a phenomenon which you haven't, we haven't discussed on this program before, but we're going to spend some time today and tomorrow going over exactly what is a civilian review board, what authorities do they have, what role do they play. But very basically, I'll tell you this, th th they vary that these civilian review boards, as they interact with law enforcement agencies around the country, they're very different. In fact, their authorities are different. Some of them exist in advisory roles. Some of them actually have the ability to call on officers to, to lose their jobs and have a, a voting authority to do so. Now, here in Utah, there are not many. There is one that works in conjunction with the Salt Lake City Police Department, under the authority of Mayor Mendenhall. There is also a review board that operates in West Valley City. Tomorrow, uh, I believe, we'll be speaking with board members from each of those review boards. But the call right now around the country and here in Utah is for uh, an enhancement of this practice, that there be more civilian review boards. The way they work is this. They receive complaints from the community. If there is an interaction with a resident of a certain city with law enforcement and that resident or someone who witnesses uh, the interaction, if they think things went uh, a little sideways or weren't exactly by the book, they can then submit a document to this review board. And if that document, if that application for review meets certain criteria, then that board, that review board will take up the case. And they will look into it, and they will uh, speak with witnesses, they'll speak with everyone they can, and then they'll come together and debate amongst themselves uh, how they feel things went, if they were above board or if correction, corrective action is required, and ultimately they will put forth a recommendation. Now we in Utah haven't heard much of these boards over the years. But I can tell you, on the mayor's website, if you have any questions about specifically the Salt Lake City uh, Civilian Review Board, uh, they publish their documents. And they publish them there in great detail. It's fascinating reading. 
In the next segment, we'll be speaking with former Salt Lake City Police Chief Chris Burbank. He currently serves as Vice President of Law Enforcement Strategy for the Center for Policing Equity. That's uh, an operation headquartered in New York City that looks to uh, reduce the number of people incarcerated and to improve, essentially, the relationship between uh, communities and law enforcement. I want to talk to him about civilian review boards. Uh, Specifically, do they work? Are they a benefit to the communities in which they operate? Also, I'd like a little bit of clarity on this whole movement to defund police. What does that mean? Defund police? You know, you, you hear it. And if that's all the context you're given, you think, hold on a second, you defund the police, you don't have police, you lose uh, the, the notion of law and order in communities. That's anarchy. That's unsafe. Well, it's not that cut and dry. It doesn't mean uh, that police departments would be abolished. While that is the call being made by some, the defund the police movement is not necessarily the abolishment of law enforcement in communities around the country. So we're going to get into those details. We're also going to be talking about the wild announcement yesterday by the World Health Organization that asymptomatic carriers of the coronavirus are very rarely contagious. Well, that got me all worked up last night because I know that so much of the policy in communities and states around this country and around the world are based on the fact that the asymptomatic are contagious. Well, the World Health Organization has walked that back a little bit. We're going to get into that entire storyline and see what we need to know and what is worth knowing and which information is the good information on which we should be basing policy. That's coming up later on today's program. I'm Lee Lonsberry. This is Live Mike, and you're listening to KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. Quick update. We have been dipping into coverage of the goings-on in Idaho surrounding the arrest of Chad Daybell. East Idaho News doing a fine job keeping their eye on this. Nate Eaton, reporter up there, has just tweeted that trucks carrying backhoes have just arrived at Chad Daybell's home, also spotted a canine from the air. Again, trucks carrying backhoes have just arrived at Chad Daybell's home. That's according to a tweet by Nate Eaton, who is a reporter with East Idaho News covering the events surrounding the home and arrest of Chad Daybell today in Salem, Idaho. Uh, I don't want to draw any conclusions from any of these observations, but uh, I'm sure you've done so already in your mind, and I hope that those conclusions uh, are not correct. I'm still holding out hope. 
In the meantime, though, we have other topics to cover. We'll continue following what's happening in Idaho as we comb through everything else happening in this country right now. I also want to put in a request for you. Later on in the program, uh, we're going to be talking about a, a heartbreaking survey. There was a poll uh, conducted recently, and the results of that poll reveal that 80% of Americans, and this is the way the question was phrased, the poll reveals 80% of Americans feel the country is spiraling out of control. So you can attach any context to that you wish, but the question very basically put to uh, 1,000 Americans was, do you feel the country is spiraling out of control? And so let me put that same question to you. Do you feel the country is spiraling out of control? There is a lot happening. There is a lot happening around us to uh, cause some anxiety. But is it out of control? Is the country spiraling out of control? Call me and tell me. 801-575-7668. 801-575-7668. Pick up your phone. Call that number. Answer the question very basically. Do you feel that America, that this country is spiraling out of control? I've got some strong thoughts on not only that poll, the results, but my own answer to that question. I'll share those with you just after 2 o'clock. Right now, though, we are honored to be joined by former Salt Lake City Police Chief Chris Burbank. Uh, Chief, sir, how are you? I'm well. How are you doing today, Lee? Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, a lot of stuff in the news, though, to be anxious and worked up about. And so I'm trying to calm that down. I'm trying to uh, be cool and collected as we make it through uh, this day. I ha- yesterday had a conversation with Janetta Williams. She's the president, uh, of course, of NAACP, the Salt Lake City branch. And yesterday I, I asked her a question uh, about what's next here in the state of Utah. She gave me this answer. Our focus now is going to be making sure with that we do and work with uh, law enforcement on some type of civilian review boards and making sure that we have some type of accountability and reform going on. When she used that phrase, civilian review boards, I, I, I knew that I was aware that those boards existed and operated uh, here in Utah and around the country, but I hadn't put much thought into them in the context of the recent gatherings uh, around the country. What can you tell us about, uh, in terms of definitions and how they operate, uh, what is a civilian review board? Well, let me first say that every police agency in the nation should have some sort of civilian review board capability. This is where the civilians or a panel selected by a mayor, usually not elected people, but individuals that are placed on that do not represent or not part of the police department, and they review and have access to internal affairs files and complaints against the police department. Now, Salt Lake City has had this in place actually preceding me being the police chief, but I work very closely with the Civilian Review Board. And they have the ability to question, to call witnesses, to review all investigative material, and then they make a con- they draw a conclusion and make a recommendation to the police chief. Now, I was not bound to abide by that. But, boy, if I was going different than what the Civilian Review Board recommended, I better have some uh, pretty good talking points in order to support my side of that argument. Share with me at least one of the the noteworthy interactions between yourself, the review board, and your response to a recommendation made to you by the board. Well, so, again, every single case that came before in which an officer used force especially came before the police department. There were actually some cases that uh, they recommended that the officer uh, be exonerated 
for their actions, and I actually disciplined the officer. In fact, I think I held a, a record for a little while as the only police chief to ever go the other direction on a civilian <laughs> review board. <laughs> but so in the, in the case of an officer-involved shooting, right, they would evaluate all the circumstances, and as the police chief, I got a recommendation from the board, I got a recommendation from internal affairs, and then I would get a recommendation or interaction from the district attorney's office. So you actually had three different investigations going on concurrently in which you were bound kind of by that decision. And most of the time what would happen is the Civilian Review Board would send me a document and say, all right, in this circumstance, Chief, we recommend that the officer, you know, uh, be found, in essence, guilty, right, or uh, outside the policy of the police department. And then uh, I would say, yeah, I agree with that, or no, here's what I agree with. And they also had the ability to recommend, you know, if somebody should be terminated. And, you know, I, I'm trying to think of a specific case that I could say, oh, yeah, we absolutely, here's what we did. I don't know that one springs to mind. But, again, sure. it was somebody that – it was a board, it was a group of people that I came to rely upon. I valued their opinion and absolutely – took their input as one of the most important suggestions that I would ever get in an internal affairs investigation. Is there generally an adversarial relationship between these review boards and uh, law enforcement, uh, you know, the, the, the beat cops and such like that? So Salt Lake City actually enjoyed a pretty good relationship, and then my understanding is they still do. In other parts of the country, there have been lawsuits against them. There have been very you know high conflicts between labor unions. That there's been conflicts between civilian review board and police chiefs in the past, and so it, it really is all over the map as far as it is. And some civilian review boards have the ability to actually supersede the police chief, and some don't, and some are quite frankly, paper tigers, and they're just yeah. handing you out, oh, here's what it is, and nobody seems to care or weigh in on this. But it is a crucial part of the interaction between community and police that needs to take place in order to develop the trust. We're experiencing, right? Bottom line is, this is a crisis of legitimacy of law enforcement across the nation. And we as law enforcement have ignored that for far too long and have not made concrete steps and advances. We've done lots of talking, but we have not put in place laws, rules, and procedures such as Civilian Review Board in every circumstance in order to actually solve the problem. We have just one minute remaining, uh, speaking with former Salt Lake City Police Chief Burbank, and I'll ask you this question, Chief, in your capacity as a vice president at the Center for Policing Equity. Should, should we be placing the formation of civilian review boards across the country at, at, the, at, a, at a high priority uh, in, in terms of affecting change, the types of change that are being called for? Are there other strategies that we should be focusing more of our energies on right now? Boy, gathering data, civilian review board making the data in the civilian review board findings public, then having the discussion about expectation of policing and reviewing policing from the standpoint of the efficacy of the effort, right? If your actions result in less than 1% efficiency or effectiveness, maybe we shouldn't be doing those actions because the cost to society has been tremendous over the years. Understood. And so those are the things that I would put right at the top. Very good. We'll have to leave it at that. Chris Burbank, former Salt Lake City Police Chief, and my guest today. Thank you so much for your insight and your expertise. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we're going to look at this movement to, quote, defund the police. What are lawmakers saying? What are others saying? Next on Live Mike.